If you remember, the final event of the 2014 CrossFit Games was double grace. So in other words, 60 clean jerks for time. And this was, mind you, after they got done with another event, basically right before this. And then Rich Froning proceeded to win the games, but he did that by going double grace in five minutes and three seconds. So figured it out that would be one rep every five seconds. And basically that's 12 reps per minute. If we look at another one, Camille LeBlanc Bazinet did 60 unbroken chest bars in the team series this the same year, this uh, 2014. And that is insane. And then she rested one minute, 60 seconds, and came back and did 29 more unbroken. So basically, she's averaging well over 30 chest bars per minute. And mind you, that one of those minutes was rest. <laughs> And another really good example from the 2018 CrossFit Games was Logan Collins. It was 30 ring muscle-ups for time. He finished in a minute and 47 seconds. So that's like well over 15 ring muscle-ups per minute. That's what we're talking about here. If you want to be fit, you have to pay your respects to the king. Movement density. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. Fitness Movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver incredible training-related content to people just like you. I don't just podcast. I write in-depth fitness articles. I break down common movements in the sport of fitness. I program workout plans, and I offer one-on-one coaching for competitive and recreational athletes. And the best part is most of what I have on ZorFitness.com is totally free. Check out these resources by going to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. Hope to see you there. And we're back to my rant on movement density. So first of all, what is movement density? Really simply, it's how many reps of a given movement you can do in a certain amount of time. So the most simple way is just the way I did in the intro of explaining it as how many reps you do per minute. So not everything necessarily has reps to it, but often a lot of the movements we do in functional fitness do. So it's kind of the easiest way. And then the next question I get a lot of times is what's the difference between density and intensity? So intensity, which is the term that I think gets thrown around way too much now, is basically just a perception. It's really like how does something feel and how are you having a response to that thing? So for example, you might have the perception that something's super intense, but that thing could just be really cold. You're not actually doing any work. Say it's you walk outside and it's 15 degrees outside and you went from your house at 70 degrees, you're going to get hit with like a wall of air, essentially. That might feel super intense, but there's no real work being done. Like there's no output there that can really be measured in a, in a useful sense in, in a sporting context. So what is that? right? It's perception. It's how something feels. So we can take into consideration limiters in state, like sympathetic, parasympathetic, breathing limiters, the heat, the cold, the other stressors, uh, a thermoregulation, all these things. Someone has performance anxiety. All that can lead to technically more intensity, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing more work in less time density. So it's just think of it as like a competition, right? If you're doing sets and reps and time, that's all that really matters in terms of how you get scored. Like obviously the other things do matter and certainly they all count, but in terms of like the output that you're putting out that gets measured by your judge that gets put up on the scoreboard that you are going to like register for the podium for, that stuff, only thing that matters there is density. That's why density is the king. 
So there's three questions we need to be answering when we're thinking about movement density. Number one, how dense? So how dense is the work? So in other words, how many reps per minute is occurring? Two, how long? So think about the event time, the duration of that workout. How long is that event? It's going to affect that. And then three, do the other movements interfere? So interference is think of it as having a negative combined effect. Rather than complementing each other, they're going to interfere with the other one's ability for you to be able to perform that movement well. Typically, we can think about movements that use the same muscle groups in this sense, right? So if we're doing ski erg and muscle-ups, those are interfering movements compared to running and muscle-up because those are using different musculature. So obviously, there's different levels of interference. If you're doing strict press and strict handstand push-ups, it's going to have an incredibly high level of interference, whereas an assault bike and running, yes, that has interference, but in a slightly different kind of way because they're involving a wider range of muscle groups. And also those muscle groups are going to produce more of a systemic effect in the body. So that gets complicated, but I'll try to keep it simple for today. And then there's going to be three types of movement or kind of categories or silos of movement that we're going to talk about. Number one is cyclical movement, two, weightlifting, three, gymnastics. All right, so first let's talk about density and cyclical work. So cyclical exercises are just something where you can do it again and again and again. It's going to be the exact same motor pattern repeated over a period of time. This could be something that's more of a sprint or more of a sustaining long-term effort. It doesn't really matter. The cyclical can be either one of those. So just think about in terms of the actual movements that we're doing. Things like running, rowing, air bike or biker, skiing, Rowing on the actual water, stand up paddleboarding, kayaking, hiking, rucking. There's a million different ones. We could have Versa Climber. We could have Jacob's Ladder. There's countless different machines out there, elliptical. There's a million. I think people often get siloed into what they actually have in their gym. And they don't think big picture in terms of the, the options that they could have if they actually went outside and did other things. A few things we need to understand about cyclical work is number one, they're super handy because we have screens on all of these different ergs that we have in most of our gyms that we work out in. And you can literally see your pace and pace is actually density. So it's simply the amount of work that you are doing in a certain amount of time. If you're doing toes to bar, you don't have a counter in front of you and tells you if you speed up your toes to bar that you'll be doing 20 per minute instead of 18 per minute. But yet that's exactly what happens when we're sitting on a rower. We know every single pull, whether you're at a 155 pace, whether you're two seconds too slow or you're two seconds too fast, tells you you're hitting this amount of work in this amount of time, or you're hitting this exact amount of wattage, you're at sitting on these RPMs, this many strokes per minute, like you have all the data right there in front of you. And it's really obvious and much easier to stay on pace. People have much more of a challenge staying on pace and something like the long chipper where there's a barbell and gymnastics involved just because they have so many elements going on and you can't actually tell where you're at. Whereas if someone was like, Hey, you took seven seconds, that rest break instead of five, it'd be much easier to stay on that. And that's actually sometimes what great athletes will do in a online qualifier environment is they'll actually have people dedicated to calling out these different metrics for them. So that way they can actually stay on track. Another way to do it is just think about kind of your breathing in between each of those breaks. I'm going to take a five breath break, for example, but with the cyclical work, it's really easy because all the information's just right there in front of you. Even times if, for most people, if they're running, like you still have smart watches, you still have a watch where they can't even check a watch if you're doing chest bar pull-ups or something like that. But if you're running, it's pretty easy to check a watch or look at a clock or any of these metrics. 
as we're talking about density and cyclical work, essentially all that is, is your pace throughout that time domain. So this is what people refer to as like energy systems training. So all it's kind of referring to is you produce energy in different ways based on the time domain. So whatever the time domain is, it needs to be specific to your limiters. So let's think about some of the limiters in cyclical density. So in other words, pace, whatever time frame it is. Number one, I have three of them here. Number one would just be ventilation. So ventilation, it's literally your ability to be able to get air in and out of your body. So it's not necessarily exchange of gas. So I'm not necessarily talking about getting oxygen into my body or CO2 out or anything like that. It's just talking about, can you actually get air in and out of your lungs? And oftentimes we'll see people in cyclical environments that becomes a limiter for them, especially if posture becomes an issue, right? So if posture becomes an issue and we see someone starting to, to hunch over while they're rowing, all of a sudden they can't breathe properly anymore. They're not getting full breaths or they're not getting full inhales or exhales. And then they'll start to actually break down because of that. So even though we might have a quote engine limiter, the root cause of that is actually ventilation, but even before that would be posture. Sometimes we'll see things break down and it's not necessarily the root cause, but it is creating a limiter for that athlete. So first one would just be ventilation. Number two would be delivery. So that's where the exchange of those gases is actually taking place. And now it's delivery. Think about it. It's in your bloodstream. It's got to get pumped around your bloodstream. So this is basically a heart issue. So it could be an issue with stroke volume where someone um, just is really occluding their muscles. So they're actually not getting blood in or out. So that was two is just delivery. And we get much more in depth on that later on. But three, local oxygen consumption. Um, this could also be an issue where they're just blowing off too much CO2. And that way they can't actually exchange oxygen, um, which is basically the bore effect. And this is just basically saying that as you're going through and consuming a lot of oxygen, say like your quads when you're on the assault bike and you just can't take in enough oxygen because that muscle isn't used to doing that level of work over that period of time. So this is where we'll get in an anaerobic environment and you'll start to feel a burn. So those are kind of the three layers, ventilation, delivery, and then O2 consumption locally. And then for cyclical work, the thing that we need to understand is that the reason why cyclical elements are so challenging for people mentally is because they can focus on other things and because the limiter tends to be ventilation or delivery. It doesn't tend to be O2 consumption as often. This really makes the cyclical work challenging for that person because they can see pace at all times. They want to hold to that pace. And that way, they're also not having a local fatigue where their whole systemic response is going into this. And if you don't really understand what I'm talking about, just do like a 10 minute max cal assault bike test. You'll be able to feel what I'm talking about. Breathing's going to be up. Your heart's going to be pounding on your chest. And then eventually you'll also start to get that occlusion in your muscle towards the end of that, where you're not going to be able to get blood in or out and you'll start to get that big leg pump, right? So those are the three stages there. All right. So next I'm going to talk about density in weightlifting. Here I'm defining weightlifting as not just snatch and clean jerk, but any external load. So this could be Certainly a barbell, it could be a dumbbell, a kettlebell, a sandbag, backpacks, basically anything like that. Any external load, so not your own body weight, but anytime you are adding something onto that. And if we're talking about limiters in weightlifting and density in weightlifting, there's two things that we have to think about. Number one, people who are having issues with max loads. 
And oftentimes people think they're having issues with max loads, but really they're having an issue with their other category, which is battery. So battery is essentially your ability to be able to hit a heavy load relative to you, like your one rep max, and then come back with a short rest and hit it again. So really great test to understand where you're at in terms of your battery is build up to like a one rep max. Let's just take a a power clean. So take a one rep max power clean, and then you're going to rest three, four minutes. And then you're going to put 90% on the bar and you're going to hit as many reps as you can for eight minutes at 90% of your power. You'll know if you have an issue with battery and not being able to repeat that effort again and again and again quickly, if you're going to get like 10 or 15 reps on that test. And for some people, they think that actually sounds great. But in reality, that's pretty terrible for a lot of CrossFit athletes and people who compete in the sport of fitness. What you'll see is people who are elite in the sport of fitness will be able to get 20, 25, 30, 35 potentially reps at 90% of their power clean over an eight minute clock. That means they're coming back and every 12 to 15 seconds hitting another rep at 90% of their one rep max, which is insane. That's the level of battery and repeatability and density that it takes in our sport to be successful. If you're someone who can do that, you can come back again and again and again over a short period of time and be able to hit that, that battery. If you have that capacity because you've tested it and you know it and you're still not able to compete in quote heavy events, then it's probably an issue where your max is not high enough. So if you can hit 30 reps on something like that eight minute test and you still aren't performing well in workouts like 17.3, 18.2, 19.2 or 20.4, those sort of workouts, then yeah, okay, now it's kind of time to like ramp up your max and really be able to get to the level you want. We have to also understand, is that worth it in the total context of your training? Like if you have a eight minute 2K, probably not worth actually improving your max. Probably obviously dedicate some time to that, but we also have to have concurrent training going on during that. So a question we have to ask ourselves, is it an issue with our max or is it an issue with battery slash density? A really good kind of litmus test for this is to be able to go back at your scores on like the open if you've done that or online qualifiers where you can compare against other people and be able to see on the tests that where the weight got heavy, how did I perform? Not just based on how like what was I running at max, but could I come back and hit a load that was relatively heavy? And be able to do that under fatigue, under respiratory fatigue, under different types of local fatigue, all kinds of stuff. Really good examples here. 17.3, we had a chest to bar and heavy ascending squat snatches. It wasn't just could you handle lifting heavy for one or two reps? Can you do that again and again and let that weight get heavier and be able to still brace and have a tight core and be able to hit positions and still be like rigid after minutes and minutes in many heavy attempts. If we talk about something like 18-2, it was the same sort of idea where you did a bunch of burpees and moderate weighted squats, and then you had to come back and within a few minutes be able to hit within a few attempts a max lift. And that would be one where it's probably a little bit more lending itself to an actual max versus battery versus something like 19.2, which it was double unders, toes to bar, and squat cleans. Once again, those squat cleans were ascending. That would be a really good example of, okay, if you weren't able to hit those numbers in the latter part of the workout, it was probably more of an issue of density because most people didn't get anywhere close to their max in that workout because of the rep scheme. And then lastly, if you think about something like 20.4, where we're having really high interference in a workout, we can think about quads and like the step-ups or box jumps. We can think about quads and the pistols. We can think about quads and the clean and jerks. 
So it was just quad, quad, quad the whole way through. Like that muscle just got com- completely destroyed in that workout. And were you actually able to handle it? It doesn't matter if it was quote good programming or not. That doesn't matter. Like if you signed up for this sport, you have to be able to go out and do that. Looking at examples like that, are you able to come back and hit reps again and again? Or is it just an issue where you don't have that gas pedal? You just don't have the one rep max, the capacity to do it. And last but certainly not least, let's talk about density in gymnastics. Density for gymnastics is going to be the biggest separator in this movement category, even more so than weightlifting. Yes, it, you have to drive up that one rep max, but you have to drive up the battery, which are both kind of upper end elements. And a lot of people aren't even able to hit those higher weights in those workouts that the elites can hit again and again and again with relative ease at that battery density rather than a one rep max. Here, a lot of people, even at like a, a intermediate or kind of um, sub elite level, can do all the skills. So it becomes not a separator anymore as to who can do the skills, right? Like whereas only games athletes are going to be able to sub six forty five, say two k, and be able to clean and jerk three hundred fifty pounds for males. That just only happens for people who are at a decently high level. Whereas lots of people can hit muscle ups congrats, like you are now in the top 70% of the world. We're looking to separate the top point of 1%. So what needs to change here is the fact that rather than adding more skills, like we're not testing iron crosses and making things harder than muscle ups. So what are we doing? We simply add reps and add chunking. So being able to think of like total volume of reps is higher and the number of reps that you are asked to perform in a given set are bigger. So rather than being like, okay, you're going to do four rounds of six muscle ups and 18 wall balls and now gets the sets of muscle ups might jump to 12 or maybe 24 they become really giant and the wall ball sets might go to 100, 150 because wall ball is exactly the same kind of idea where obviously it's a weightlifting movement, but the idea is the same in the sense that a wall ball to be able to be standardized, a male throwing to 10 feet, female to nine feet, male 20 pounds, female 14 pounds. That's standard. So we're not actually changing those metrics. So what that means is in order to have separation in the best in the world, we have to have more reps or bigger chunks. We have to make that harder somehow. And those are the only two ways to do it. So this is what it comes down to for gymnastics in these workouts. You just have to be able to perform more reps in less time. So once you have a rope climb, a muscle up, a handstand push up, you can hit 15 feet on a handstand walk. You can hit some of these metrics and you have all the strength to do that. Then it all becomes density. Once you've had a skill, okay, cool. I've gotten my first muscle up. Check. Once I'm able to do several muscle ups and okay, you're going to have to come over that strength limiter first. But after that, it comes down to how many times are you able to come back and hit those movements again and again and again in a given amount of time comes all about density. We can think of it as rather than rope climbs, you could potentially make it legless or okay, we'll throw a pack on you or we'll have you have a thicker rope or a longer rope. But for online qualifiers, that doesn't happen. We're actually, we don't even test for most people rope climbs and online qualifiers just because it's hard to standardize. Like how tall is your gym? Is it 12 feet? Is it 15 feet? Is it eight feet? We can think about muscle ups. Like sure, you could potentially do it strict or in a vest, but who has a vest? Or if we say strict, okay, who's going to standardize and make sure all the judges are knowing exactly what to look for in a strict muscle up? Like how strict is strict? Or like a handstand push up. 
are we going to make sure your hands are in a certain box or are we going to make sure they're deficit or parallel or strict? So we have all these different options, but oftentimes they get thrown out because it just gets really hard to standardize and judge. So rather than doing that, we'll just stick with what we have and we'll just make you do a lot of it. This isn't right or wrong. It's just the way things are. So what this means, it means that gymnastics, especially that's the one where it matters the most in terms of density, you have to be able to perform gymnastics density. So another thing to think about is I recommend a three-step model here for gymnastics performance. The first thing, you have to have the strength to be able to actually do the movements. So even if you can do maybe five muscle-ups, that doesn't mean that you need to just start doing more and more muscle-ups. That might help you build the strength that you need, but ultimately you need to be doing drills, skills, progressions, even like weighted works, negatives, like all these kind of things that help you actually build the specific strength that you need in the specific ranges and muscles that you need to be able to perform that movement. After you've had the strength, then as I've said, it becomes all about density where you can do more reps in less time and start to add chunking and start to add volume to that. And we'll talk about that in a second. That's kind of the second phase in this three-step model, strength, density, and lastly, sport. So sport is essentially being able to say like, okay, now we can add all these other layers onto it. Let's say someone's strong enough. Okay, check. So with the density itself, we can say in step two here, we need to think about how many reps can they do per minute, which is density. How many reps can they do per set, which would be the chunking. And then how many total reps are they doing volume? And we can manipulate these in different types of workouts and progress this over time so that someone becomes better prepared to handle more density in game day type scenarios. And then lastly, once we've kind of done that for that person, and this is more controlled environments like EMOMs where you're getting more so just that particular movement, or maybe we start to pair that with some cyclical work or it's more controlled environments. We're kind of bridging the gap between strength and functional applications or sport. So once we actually get to the sport phase in the third one, this is basically like competition prep. We're going to increase general fatigue. So we're going to start to give them more like AMRAPs, rounds for time, and that will help. Number one, it increases general fatigue and it's just more of a specific stimulus that they're going to see in a workout setting. This also starts to incorporate now like pacing, their strategy. So how are you going to break up sets and reps? Where are you going to rest? How long are you going to rest? What are you going to be thinking about? Where are you going to attack? Where are you going to go easier? All that stuff. This functional application step three also would include controlling your state. So parasympathetic, sympathetic, being able to control anxiety, performance anxiety, just your mind state before an actual event, things like that. And then lastly, I would say this would incorporate racing. This is a big part of the sport is like you have to race other people through, even if it's in person or online kind of virtually, you have to be able to do that and you have to be able to throw it down and get that done. And remember, you can't actually go to those layers unless you've mastered movement density. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay the course. If you enjoy the show, do me a huge favor and give the fitness movement a positive review. And as a way to say thanks, I will send you the 12-week workout plan of your choice from my website. Simply email me at ben at zorfitness.com. That's ben at zorfitness.com with zor being spelled Z-O-A-R. Thanks in advance. Hey, it's Ben again, and I want to talk to you for a minute about one of my programs that I offer on ZorFitness.com. It's called Gymnastics Density for the Big Five. So hopefully by the end of this show, you're well aware of what Gymnastics Density is, but what's the Big Five? The Big Five is the five most important, five most commonly tested gymnastics movements. One, muscle-ups, both bar and ring. Two, handstand push-ups. Three, handstand walks. 
four Chester Bar, and five Toast Bar. If you're a person who claims to be a competitor in the sport of fitness, but you aren't adept at producing gymnastic density, you will not reach your potential in the competitive space. And it is exactly why I wrote this program, is for the people who want to upgrade their gymnastics performance. To learn more about the program, go to zorfitness.com slash store, or simply Google gymnastics density program.